Thanks, John. I am kind of fascinated by introductions. I have ended up on a whole lot of meetings and conferences and seminars and all of that. And sometimes the introduction is more interesting than the speech, or the introducer is more interesting than the one that comes along to bring content. So, um, but then sometimes there are introductions that go on way too long, and you, you want to say, just can, just be quiet. Let's hear the person we came to hear. So I think my favorite in my world of uh, Christian churches and, and preachers was um, a, a true introduction given by a person called Ray Steadman. Ray Steadman was a very well-known pastor in the 70s and 80s at a church called Peninsula Bible Church in Southern California. Well-known, wrote a lot of books, and you know, a lovely, lovely man. He was at a conference and was given the responsibility of introducing Stuart and Briscoe. Stuart Briscoe, sorry, escaped my notice mind for a moment. Stuart is also um, a well-known pastor and, and author and a great, a great preacher. So when Ray Stedman was introducing him, now the thing you need to know about Stuart Briscoe is that he has a a, a beautiful Beatles-like accent, um, and and has not lost lost it at all over the years. And so Stedman got up and he said, "It it has occurred to me that there are two things that make a speaker well worth listening to. One is having great theology, and the other is having a great accent." And so I give to you someone now who has great theology, a great accent, Stuart Briscoe. Stuart stood up and said, that's particularly remarkable coming from someone who has neither. <laughs> Slice. So we're talking about introductions. Um, we've decided not to use the word inviter. We're using the word introducer. It's a whole lot different, a whole lot more powerful, a whole lot more practical, I think, than feeling as though we have to take on the burden of inviting people to things. Rather, we would like to introduce them to people. So we would like to be used by the Lord to introduce people to other people. You are a connector in some sphere or other. There is somebody that you know that someone else you know needs to know. That it would be a great connection. And some of you get that and, and work it out well. So as we've been looking at this, we, we talked about introducing people to Jesus, and Andrew was one of the first introducers. Um, we're told that um, he immediately brought his brother and introduced him to Jesus. But the thing that was in back of all of that um, is this really interesting passage in the first gospel of John, first, uh, the gospel of John chapter 1. Three simple things are stated in that chapter. There was a man who was sent from God. His name was John. And, and that, I think, serves not only as a very apt introduction of John the Baptist, but it also is a great model for what we would hope for if someone was going to introduce us. So if someone was going to introduce you to give a talk, um, what comes to mind that would probably be in that introduction? 
And if you're able to sort of sort through that and then ask yourself questions about your faith and um, your witness, then do does everything kind of match up so that you would say, if I ever did, and I know that the greatest fear most people have is public speaking. So some of you are going, no, 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 not public speaking. I don't need any, no introduction, right? Some of us just have the gift of the gap because we've been to the Blarney Castle and leaned over backwards so that we're good for that. Um, here's John's introduction. Now, who, who is this character? His name is John the Baptist. And he actually is the one who introduces the others, one of whom is Andrew, to Jesus. So along the chain of introductions, John the Baptist is very early on on that chain. Now, as we think about this simple summary of the biography of John the Baptist, there was a man, he was sent by God, his name was John. And behind all of that, the backstory is that this is the cousin of Jesus. He is the slightly older cousin of Jesus, and he is a very remarkable man because he does things that you probably would not find very palatable. Uh, palatable. He, he eats locusts, wild locusts, and, and um, sweetens them with wild honey and spends all of his time in the wilderness uh, wearing a camel skin, something or other, and preaching, shouting at people. And people come in droves to hear John the Baptist speak. And the news about John goes back into town, and the religious leaders are fascinated and a little skeptical of who he is. So they send a delegation and they say, who are you? So think of this character who is renowned now for his behavior and for his, uh, his wild speech. And the delegation comes and asks him, are you Elijah? No. Are you one of the prophets? Nope. Well, who are you? Who, what are we going to tell them when we go back? We, they, they've asked us to make sure you're not a reincarnation of Elijah, and um, if, if not that, are you one of the other prophets? Who are you? And John the Baptist, Jesus Sr., by a few months, says simply, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Yesterday, by the way, was the anniversary of the completion of the writing of Handel's Messiah. Do you know that, Dean? And that quote from John the Baptist, again, is back into the prophets. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Isn't that something? Who are you? Well, I'm John the Baptist. You should figure that out by now. I'm, I'm the most popular preacher in town. Everybody comes to my meetings. And do you see that water, the River Jordan there? I take people one by one and baptize them in that water, and they convert to following the Messiah who is to come. He doesn't even tell them his name. He says, I'm, I, I guess I should say I'm the voice of the wilderness. Someone is crying in the wilderness. I, I don't want you to think anything more of me than I'm a voice crying in the wilderness. He then stipulates that his mission is to be decreasing while Jesus is increasing. Because we're told then that uh, 
on one of the days around that when he's preaching in the wilderness, people are listening to him and so on, uh, Jesus appears. And it, this is when John actually introduces his f- disciples to Jesus. And he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he says, and you know, I, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. Um, so I, I want you to forget that you've seen me. Forget that you've heard me, but remember my message. Prepare the way of the Lord. The Messiah is here. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world is here. And I'm baptizing you in water. He's going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. You wouldn't believe what's going to happen when he comes into his rightful place as your Messiah, as your Savior, as your Lord. And John deliberately fades Now, he has a very sad outcome because he can't keep his mouth closed and he he fesses, he outs somebody on something they've done immoral and so his head is served on a plate and that's that's the end of John, right? How does the Bible remember John the Baptist? Remembers him very well, but carefully introduces him as John the Apostle does by saying there was a man who was sent from God His name was John. It goes on then and says, this man who was sent by God, whose name was John, he himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. So this is back to John the Apostle, who's making the commentary on John the Baptist. And he said something that is very important for us to get our our minds around, that that John did not propose to be the light. He was very careful in identifying the fact that the Messiah was coming, and then when he saw Jesus, he was very careful to identify him and say, this is him, this is the one. It's not me. It's not about me. I am not the light. I have come only to bear witness to the light. Witness or testimony are the words usually in in the English versions of this. So John is saying, um, this one who came, he was a man sent from God, his name was John. He came to bear witness. He came to say what he had seen, what he had heard, what he had believed. But he didn't have the goods. He was not the light. In fact, the one that was coming as the light, the true light, that gives light to every man was coming into the world. We want to see ourselves as introducers. And I think the introducer who introduced everyone from the get-go was John the Baptist. He was the the primary introducer. And a few things just kind of leap out for me about how he performed this relationship, how he performed this task um, that was given to him by God. First of all, there, there was a man. It literally says there came a man. It, 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 like A guy showed up, sent by God. His name was John. The second phrase is, is most important, really. Um, it says he was sent by God. And today, by the time we get done here, I hope that you are imagining a little introductory statement for you 
that says there was a man or there was a woman, there was a grandma, there was a grandfather, there was a child, there was a brother, there was an uncle, there was an aunt, there was a teacher, there was a doctor, there was whatever it is. The thing that comes after that is sent by God because that's also about you. Every single one of you is sent by God. Now, was John specially sent by God? Yeah, miraculous birth, not like the Jesus birth, but you know, special grace and gift, um, well gifted with his oratory and courageous beyond belief, um, but sent by God, and so are you. But most of you don't believe it. Most of us don't believe it. We think other people are kind of sent by God. I mean, there were the Billy Grahams, uh, the Mother Teresas. They were definitely sent by God. But you also were sent by God. There is, there is no one in the room that God has overlooked. You know, he, he hasn't said, well, Ken, oh, I forgot about him. Where, where am I going to send him to? Where he's going to send him to is in a bunch of firefighters and let Ken be there because that's where God sent him to. And I believe in being called vocationally to Christian ministry to a degree, but no more than every one of you is called to what you have ended up in. You're called to accounting. You're called to teaching. You're called to whatever it is you've found yourself spending your time doing because the reason you are here is that you are here for God. Now, John's was an incredible vocation, this desert thing, and then speaking the truth to power. Um, But no less each one of us need to understand that there is a man called, there is a woman called Audrey. She was sent by God. She was sent by God. And she was sent by God for one purpose. She was sent by God to give witness to the light. Now what does that mean? Well, it means that every one of us needs to have a gospel patter, right? Every one of us has to be ready to close the deal. No. Maybe so. What you are sent to do is bear witness. That's what you're sent to do. How do you bear witness? How do you bear testimony? You say what you saw, right? You say what you heard, That's giving witness. That's giving testimony. And in a court of law, um, you're asked the question, do you you promise you're going to tell the truth? All of it will be the truth. Do you swear that on a Bible or by raising your hand or whatever it is? Can we count on you for telling the truth? Because you will be asked, what did you see? What did you hear? What happened? Now, will you tell us the truth? God says, there's a man called John. I sent him to tell the truth. I sent him to bear witness, to say what it is he saw, what it is he heard. And the thing that is in back of all of that is that you are not responsible as the light. You are not the one that people need to accept. You're not the one that people have to you know, trust entirely. All you have to do is say something Show something about the person who is behind your life, who is Jesus, who is the light coming into the world. That simply means that you tell stories about how it is you believe you have encountered Jesus. 
right? You just tell people the stories of your life. Wherever it is that you see that Jesus has entered your story, then you should tell people that. If there is some part of a, a witness's story and um, she knows that she should really let it come out, but she doesn't tell it, and later on um, the lawyer says, someone has just informed me that you said this, that you, you, saw, you saw that happening. Is that true? Yes. Why didn't you tell us that? Because that makes all the difference in the world to this case, that you would have told that truth. And the good witness will say, well, you didn't ask, so I didn't tell, right? But here, here's the story of our lives, that we are known by God, we have appeared, we are sent by God, and we are sent to bear witness to the true light. And then there's a, a little bit of debate about what the grammar means about the light coming into the world. It either means that the light of the world was coming into the world, as Jesus was, or it may give reference to the fact that every person born into the world knows the light. And I think that's it. Everyone who is born into the world has the innate knowledge that the truth about Jesus Christ is true truth. If I know that and believe that I have been sent by God to wherever it is, and all I have to do is connect the dots, tell the stories about how Jesus is active in my life. If this is true, then when someone hears that, someone will be prone to believe that because there is something that awakens their mind and their heart, hearts and their, and their conscience at, at the mention of, of Jesus. I advise you not to give testimony about church or religion. Give it about Jesus, right? You can talk about church and religion if you want, but if you have only one opportunity to have a little conversation, talk about Jesus. Because you've got to dismantle church and religion so much in today's climate. Just tell them about Jesus. Who is he? What has he done in your life? How have you come to understand more about him? Um, What's this about him being God? Is that really true that he's God, do you think? Did he really rise from the dead? Why did he die anyway? Uh, and how, did, how has that made an impact on, on your life? Just give testimony about that. Um, give a witness about that. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. So let me make just a couple of suggestions. First of all, live intentionally. So this is rocket science for sure. But how many of us do not live intentionally? Now, John lived intentionally, right? He got up every morning, and he put on his spare camel hair thing, whatever it was, made sure that he had packed his locusts and wild honey and headed off into the desert. What are you going to do today, John? Same as I do every day. Go down there and yell at the, the Pharisees one more time. Right? I'm going to live intentionally. Um, and we say, well, yeah, but John was special case, right? No, because we are all sent by God. Unless you want to totally defy that idea, every day of your life, every place that you go, you're sent there by God. You have a mission. You have missions that day. 
Maybe that day will be the day that you make a really strategic introduction. Somebody that you introduce to somebody else and it gets farther down the line and later on you say, boy, I am really glad I was intentional that day. I'm glad I didn't just let the day happen to me, right? I think we're living in a society where people um, are either so intentional on career and you know, you know, making sure that the path is right or so intentional about family that a lot of other things kind of get set aside. Um, the idea that we should live intentionally with our spirituality, with our faith, with our relationship with Jesus needs to dawn upon us every day, right? Hodie Fortasse, we said at the beginning of the year, perhaps today. So that would help me live intentionally if I began every morning by saying, perhaps today will be the day that the kingdom of Jesus comes in all of its fullness. So, how will I live this morning? How will my conversations go this morning? And at the back of my mind is this harping at me that says, there was a man sent by God, his name was John. There was a woman named Sally sent by God. She was sent with, by God to live intentionally and to live out his mission. Secondly, say we know about Jesus. That's the notion of the witness or the testimony. What do you know about Jesus? You don't need to know all of the theology. You don't need to have all of the answers, but you, you need to say what you do know. Um, who, who is it that touched you? I don't know. They tell me his name was Jesus. That's all I can say. Uh, this this guy, you're his mother. How did this happen? I don't know. Ask him. He's a grown man now. All I know is that he met Jesus. You go figure it out. All I know is that my life was a mess, and I came to know Jesus, and my life is getting straightened out. It's better than it was. I was hopeless. I was addicted. I was lost. But then I met Jesus. In fact, the way I met him was a good friend of mine told me stories about him, and I listened, and I thought, well, you're not a crazy person. You're somewhat sensible, so if, if it was good for you to, to meet Jesus, however that happened, it, it might be good for me. He said, it's ordinary conversation, right? It's just like you're talking to a friend, and um, she says, I, I have this terrible back pain and you say well um i know this chiropractor and he's really good i don't know what you think about chiropractic not that's not where i'm going but if i say it's a really good chiropractor you should try Um, is that person going to be offended or or angry no because you just you your friend and you're making an introduction that is just true to the friendship and maybe it'll be something that really helps So this is not a close-the-deal set of conversations. It's just simply saying, today I'm going to live intentionally because I know that I have been sent by God. So I'm going to live intentionally. Today I'm going to say what I know about Jesus and let it go from there because I'm going to let my life be about him. Simply put, but very, very difficult to put into practice, right? how easily we can live our lives in a, a, a dichotomy. There's, 
There's the Christian me. There's the me that goes to church on Sundays. There's the me that has a quiet time. And then there's the me at work or school or whatever it is. And, and sometimes they become two me's, two different me's. Your life needs to become about Jesus. Um, I grew up in Northern Ireland, and I went to this stuffy grammar school. And it was seven miles away from the grammar school nearest my house. Seven miles in Northern Ireland is like 300 miles here, right? It's an economy of scale. It's a very small place. So I left home every morning and rode the bus to my stuffy grammar school. Um, I, I, I went through a mob of people scoffing at me. They, they, I'm going to just vent here. They, they called me schnop every time I walked past. There was one girl in particular, and I, now I think she must have liked me because she always mocked me and called me a snob as I walked by. Well, I was a snob because the grammar school in town, you, you could wear a cap, not wear a cap. You could have your tie crooked or not. Not my school. Like if I got caught with my cap not straight or my tie not tight, I would be, the prefect would have me down to the headmaster's office, and his cane was on the wall. And um, no matter what they tell you, canes hurt, um, even if you pay a pound for horse hair and put it on your hand on the palm, which I did because I was told it wouldn't hurt. Yeah. Where was I going with that? I went to this stuffy grammar school. I went to church on Sundays um, several times. But I didn't tell anybody at school I went to church or anything else about God. And I led two completely different lives. My, my greatest fear was that my cousin, who was in the same form and class as me, and knew my family, obviously, um, my great fear was that she would out me for being a Christian. Um, and, and I didn't want to have to deal with that. So I lived two different lives. I, I tried to be as bad as I could at school, tried to be as popular as I could at school, um, but there's, there's no talk of religion. Then we, we moved to Canada, and my dad became a pastor in the town that I would go to school, in Bracebridge. And I had, I had the, the conscious dilemma of whether or not I was going to own up to being a Christian. It, it was either going to be one or the other. I was either going to have to be worse than I might naturally have been, or I, I was going to have to actually choose the lordship of Christ in my life. Because I did believe when I was a child, I was up on the kitchen counter and my mom prayed with me and I know that I submitted my life to Jesus as my Savior and Lord. I got to stay up till my dad came home from prayer meeting to tell him, that I had done that. So I had done that. But when we came to a town where my dad was the pastor, and we had we talked this really funny way, so everybody in town in Bracebridge, small town at that point, they all knew who I was. He's the kid that talks funny. He's small and scrawny, and he loves rugby. Um, one time in church, I sat there, and it was like God said to me, so... Is it me or not? Choose. And at that point, I had had enough of my double life in Ireland and trying to maintain it. And I didn't want to have to keep going that way. And I knew 
that this stuff about my faith was true. So I was baptized then, and I declared that Jesus is my Lord and tried to change my life accordingly. Um, when I was finished grade 13, I was all set to go to university and enter sciences because I was going to enter into medicine, and I had one more crisis like that because I was done grade 13 when I was 16 years old because they thought the Irish system was better. Little did they know. <laughs> uh, and I, I, I had a similar experience. I was sitting in church. My dad was preaching. By now, everybody knew that we were the preacher's kids. And I was singing in the choir, and I had a friend called Herm was sitting right beside me. And my dad <clears throat> gave a call to, some, to people that uh, believed that the Lord may be asking them to go into full-time ministry. And Herm was a huge Dutch-German guy. He was like 6'5". And we were sitting side by side, and he started to shake. The pew, the choir pew, was shaking under him. And I was fascinated. I, I, I thought, man, he's under conviction. That's what it looks like to be under conviction. And as soon as my dad gave the call, Herm bounded out of the choir loft. He, he still today is in Niagara Falls as a pastor and has served the Lord all these many years. Herm was down on his knees and is weeping at the altar. And God said, now you go too. I said, no, not me. It was Herm you wanted, and you got him. So, and God said, you too. There, there haven't been many, been many times when God has said words to me. And I don't think God often says words so that you hear them. He, he speaks the, through your thoughts the way you think. You hear your own voice, and it's the Lord's voice giving you your recognizable voice and oftentimes bringing scripture into the, the chat that he has with you. But every now and then, when he wants to make things really clear, he does. Um, and those two times, he made things really clear. And for me, it, it has been a lifetime of, of having to choose to live intentionally. Uh, having to acknowledge that, that I am sent by God. I would have been sent by God had he not said, you go to, and had I not headed off to college and seminary and stuff like that. Wherever I would have gone, I would have been sent there. But I didn't know that he was sending me and I, I know that what I'm supposed to do is talk about Jesus. And I know that I'm supposed to make my life about him, not about me. Um, and it's, it's virtually a daily thing where uh, he, Jesus does not become Lord once and for all. He, there sometimes is a crisis where it's like all of a sudden you say, okay, I submit, he'll be, be my Lord, but... This morning, um, he was asking me, am I your Lord today? Are you going to be, live intentionally today? Or will you tell people about Jesus today? Um, and will you know that God has sent you to use you? There was a man came from God. His name was John. What, what's the story about you? Because every one of you can claim that introduction. Every one. So put your name instead of John 
and tell yourself in the quiet of your mind, there was a woman. What's the name? There was a woman sent by God. Her name was. Or what is the role that helps you understand? The, there was a woman named Anne. Um, there was a grandmother named Anne. She was sent by God. Um, grandmothers have the greatest opportunity in the world to tell stories about Jesus. Little people have ears and hearts that are wide open to a grandmother, grandfather, who says, can I tell you another story about Jesus? And, And those stories are deeply rooted into their hearts and lives. And at the end of your life, maybe there's a funeral service, and you have a granddaughter and says, there was a grandmother, her name was, she was sent by God into my life. She was sent, she, she, she didn't have all of the answers at, at all, but she just, she bare witness, she, she gave testimony to Jesus, and she introduced me to Jesus. How many stories in the room have to do with a Sunday school teacher that faithfully told those stories, a mom, a grandmother. Don't ever give up, because you're sent by God. Yes, you are, just as surely as John the Baptist was. Father, we pray that you will help us to see ourselves in the picture, and we pray that you will open our eyes to notice the introductions that we ought to be part of. In Jesus' name.